Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Through the end of the spring 2021 semester, a display titled I Am True Black, A History of Black Student Life and Activism, will remain available for viewing on the first floor of the James E. Walker Library during regular library hours. It chronicles the ways in which African-American MTSU students have asserted their free speech rights over the decades. Our guests are Sarah Calise, archivist for political and regional collections and university archivist Donna Baker, both from the Albert Gore Research Center. And we'll talk with them about the exhibit after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Adults looking to return to college to finish their degree or considering attending college for the first time will have the opportunity to have their questions answered by MTSU representatives next month at the Rutherford County Chamber of Commerce in Murfreesboro. As a part of the university's Finish Now event series, representatives from MTSU's University College will be on hand from 4 to 7 p.m. Tuesday, April 13th. State, local, and university guidelines will be adhered to regarding COVID-19 protocols. Masks will be required, and there'll be a cap to the number of people allowed inside the building at one time. Degree coordinators, academic advisors, and admissions counselors from MTSU will talk with attendees one-on-one -on -one to answer questions about transferring prior credits, choosing a degree program, getting admitted to MTSU, and enrolling in courses. At MTSU Associate AD for Equipment Operations, Larry Maples was recently honored as the 2020 Jeff Boss District 4 Equipment Manager of the Year, according to MTSU Athletics Communications. It marks the second time Maples has earned the award, as he was also picked in 2017. District 4 consists of Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Maples, a native of Memphis, is embarking on his sixth season with the Blue Raiders. He oversees all equipment operations while also being involved in facility upgrade projects. In his facility role, Maples has led $1,225,000 in capital maintenance and upgrade projects. He helped steer new video boards for baseball and softball, new softball grandstands, and an upgraded volleyball court. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Sarah and Donna, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. What sparked the idea for the I Am True Black display? I would say the Gore Center's work specifically on the history of Black student activism at MTSU started five or six years ago, actually, 2015. There was the, you know, the shooting at the, the AME annual church, Emanuel church in Charleston, South Carolina, Dylan Roof. Um, he murdered nine black people in that church. And that inspired kind of this reckoning across the United States with Confederate imagery in public spaces specifically. And that um, ignited black students at MTSU to once again, challenge Forest Hall on campus. It's our ROTC building for those who don't know, and it's named after Confederate General and slave trader Nathan Bedford Forrest. So in 2015, Black students started protesting that. It turned into a whole task force that went on the whole academic year, and the Gore Center decided to start documenting that history because we knew it 
did not just start in 2015. We knew that that history of black students protesting these Confederate symbols at MTSU actually went back to the 1960s. We went through all our stuff at University Archives here, what we already had, started building a digital collection, which is available right now in Walker Library. It's called the Forest Hall Protest Collection. And then we also started documenting that contemporary movement. And we've been documenting ever since 2015, because every now and then it still pops up. There were protests at Forest Hall last summer in 2020, following George Floyd's murder. And obviously it's still on campus, right? It's still here. We have not gotten rid of it. Really, this idea, the crux of this exhibit, it came out of the 2015 um, documentation that we've been doing. And we thought it was time to put the story out there in the library where a lot more people can see it than it existing in the Gore Center space. A lot more traffic to the library. So we just thought it was time. MTSU doesn't exactly have a reputation as a hotbed of activism. It's not Berkeley in the 60s, for example, but people might be surprised how early the activism began. Can one of you talk about the early years that you chronicle in the exhibit? How far back does it go? Certainly with integration, that's the big push for what we're um, trying to document and what we're trying to put on exhibit. But certainly almost immediately after Brown versus versus the Board of Education um, verdict, we had black students trying to um, enroll at MTSU. For those who do not know, the 1909 general education bill that created what is now MTSU um, created normal schools, teacher institutions in all the grand divisions, but these were segregated, they were, they were co-ed but they were for white students. The same bill created in all three grand divisions, black schools as well. These are usually your agriculture and technology um, universities, traditionally. So Brown versus Board of Education changes everything. Um, Mary Scales was one of those students who tried to enroll at MTSU and was rejected from that. So almost immediately after that, we start to see resistance. We, tried, we start to see people trying to um, integrate from that moment. Uh, when the more recent controversy over the name of Forest Hall erupted in recent years, I would wager most active students were not aware of the prior generation of students' efforts to get rid of Confederate iconography uh, across campus platforms. How extensive was that movement? We document as like the first public outcry against Confederate imagery is October 1968, a black student from Memphis named Sylvester Brooks writes an article, um, a guest column in Sideline Student Newspaper called Dixie, What Does It Mean? It's a fairly long article um, where he talks about, you know, the school is integrated now. Each year we're admitting more and more black students, but you know, you're waving the Confederate flag at sporting events. You're playing Dixie as our official school fight song. Um, you have a, a student physically dressed up as Nathan Bedford Forrest riding on a horse up and down the football sidelines. Um, 
students were decorating homecoming floats with the Confederate flag. We had Forest Hall at the time. Um, the Keithley University Center had the large 600 pound medallion that had Forrest's image on it. He was on official header letter, uh, letterheads. He was on yearbook covers. All of this imagery was just like thrown in the face of these black students who were trying to integrate this predominantly white university and were feeling very, like they entered a hostile environment, very racist white supremacist environment. So Sylvester Brooks says, you know, we have to get rid of this. We can't keep living in the past. We can't keep living in this lost cause narrative. We have to move forward. And the only way we're gonna progress is to start abolish and ban these symbols to make black students, brown students, you know, all the, the increase of other international students as well this time, make us all feel more comfortable and make us feel more included in this campus. Um, it lasted a couple of years um, into the seventies. It comes up again, kind of went in 1978 when Michael McDonald becomes the first black student body president. It comes up in 1989 um, when the NAACP student chapter tries to get that medallion removed from KSC and they were KUC and they were successful in that movement. Then it kind of, it dies down for a good period longer than it ever had before. And it gets picked back up again in 2006 by a black student named Amber Perkins. And she figures out who, what Forest Hall means, who it's named after. Um, Forest Hall at this time is now the last remaining symbol on campus in 2006, everything else had gone away. And she just calls a meeting, she puts up flyers around campus, says, hey, come to this meeting and learn about Forest Hall. And my understanding was this really small group, um, maybe 10 to 20 students black and white who showed up to this meeting. And she started a petition and unfortunately it failed during the academic year and it dies down again until 2015. And it's kind of been more consistent since 2015 than it was in the past. Um, so yeah, there's been what we call several waves of protests, several generations. What's really interesting, what I love about it is the generations all are connected. They do know about each other. Sylvester Brooks, very much influenced Michael McDonald's push to become, you know, first black student body president. Vincent Windrow, who works on campus today, many people know him. He talks about Sylvester Brooks influencing his decision to try to get that medallion taken down on the KUC. And then 2006, Sylvester Brooks actually talked with Amber Perkins. He gave her advice. This is what you can expect for the university community. This is what you can expect from Murfreesboro's white community. You're gonna get death threats. You're gonna get racial slurs thrown at you. Um, that's the nature of this fight. And then some of the protesters from 2006 were there and helped do that first protest on, in August, 2015. Andre Canty, who was part of that 2006 movement. We have photos of him. He's leading the 2015 movement with current students, Josh Crutchfield. And then Josh has been, who was a student of history. He was, a, he was a history student here. So he knew his history. He knew about Sylvester Brooks. He knew about all these other past people too. Um, he's helped students after him as well. And Sylvester Brooks, he's still around. We talked to him. He asked me every semester pretty much, give me the email of the current black student union president. I wanna to talk to them, see what they're doing. What are we doing? What are we fighting for? So he's still very much involved. Yes, so it's, it's been, it's a wonderful example of a generational movement on this campus. To speak to extent for just another second though, no, they're not always, the waves that have come through have not always been 
successful immediately. And you know, they'll get the questions of, oh, well, why didn't you change the name of Forrest back in 1968? All of these campaigns, all of these resistance and protest campaigns were very purposeful, they were very targeted, and they were two measurable goals. Everybody has to participate in student life, and athletics is a big part of student life. That's where you start. You get rid of the mascot, you get rid of Dixie, you change that environment first because that's everybody. It seems like a small thing, but it's enormous in the culture of this campus. Doesn't seem like a big deal to get a medallion removed from a building. It was enormous. It, it kind of took a little bit of true strategy to get that to happen. So when people are like, oh, what's the impact? What's the extent? These little waves are, are the drops of water dripping away, removing those barriers. So it's huge, even though it doesn't seem like it in the moment. I can remember in the most recent Forest Hall controversy, students asking me, why can't President McPhee just take the name of Forest Hall off of Forest Hall? And I said, well, there's this thing called the Tennessee Historical Commission, you see. And um, whether you like where they stand or not, this is the process through which legally MTSU has to move the issue. Uh, there, there was no way around that. And uh, whether the Historical Commission will change its mind in the future as members change, I don't know, but they turned thumbs down on Dr. McVeigh's request to change the name of Forest Hall. And uh, we still have it now as, as we speak to each other today. Yes, it's frustrating. I, I feel the frustration from the students. I was a student myself in 2015. I was a graduate student. So I joined the activist movement in support of, you know, getting Forest Hall renamed, removed, whatever. And yeah, you realize it would have been a lot easier <laughs> to take it down in 2006 because the Tennessee Heritage Protection Act did not exist then. It didn't come up until 2013, I believe was its first iteration. And it's frustrating to watch and see across the country, you see other universities being able to take these statues down and rename these buildings a lot easier than we are because legis this legislation doesn't exist in those places or they're private universities, so they can do what they want. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guests are Sarah Calise, Archivist for Political and Regional Collections, and University Archivist Donna Baker from the Albert Gore Research Center talking about I Am True Black, a uh, display, a historical display that 
gives you a sense of what African-American organizations and activists have contributed to campus life over the decades. What sort of artifacts did the Gore Center already have on hand? We're talking about photos, documents, what are we talking about? We don't have near as much as we would like to have. That continues to be a real barrier for us and in trying to interpret this. We would love to have more things, more objects, more oral histories. Um, we're grateful for what we have, but we have to get a little bit creative when we do an exhibit like this. And we are creative people. We've proven that again and again, but I do want to point out we have a lack of materials to work with at the beginning. Some of what we do is so that we can encourage our alums to, hey, I have this thing and I just didn't know you wanted it. I want to do an oral history with you. I want to contribute to this history. What we do have is extraordinarily significant and is poignant and we can do a lot of interpretation with that. Individuals are bound to have saved things in their scrapbooks, their memory books, their photo albums, their personal collections, because these moments on the timeline of civil rights activism on campus were undoubtedly important to them. And they're, they're in somebody's attic or somebody's cedar chest or somebody's personal treasure trove somewhere. And if they want to donate them or even lend them to the Gore Center, you'd be more than willing to accept them. That is correct. So yeah, if you go and visit the exhibit, you will see some stuff outside of campus because our students are also very much involved in recent Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and that includes the George Floyd protest that happened over the summer last year. And so in the, one of our cases, there is a crushed tear gas canister that was thrown by Murfreesboro police towards community members who included students in those protests, um, got really thrown basically almost onto President McPhee's lawn there at, at Main Street and Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Um, and we have, you'll see photographs in the exhibit as well from a great uh, photographer, Hamilton Matthew Masters, who donated a lot of his great protest uh, photography and videos from the past couple of years. Also talk, I believe, in the exhibit about the formation of Black student organizations. Talk about how they've contributed to the life and the culture of campus over the years. A lot of what you hear our students talking about now, particularly when they submitted demands to President McPhee, echoed what the Black Student Union, the Black Student Association, said from their very beginning. We need to look at faculty representation. We need to look at facilities. We need a center for ourselves. These kind of things echo over the years. So again, they're there to help shape the culture. You'll hear this with our student, um, Black student athletes, the, the pioneers of, of campus, where they talk about, we didn't feel we had to adapt to you. You needed to adapt to us. And it's kind of that kind of mentality and, and attitude to where I belong here and I'm going to help shape the culture I want to be in. That's a lot of the student organizations held that same kind of um, kind of self-value. So again, working with the university community to create communication, healthy communication, and adapting to the new life of integrated schools, of integrated society, of doing community work and community service. All of those organizations do that. You also see this understanding of citizenship, an understanding of we need to vote, you need to know your rights, 
we're not just protesting. We're not just trying to change things here. We are trying to be the citizens we know we are, and you need to vote to do that. Time for another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Nontraditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The exhibit is called I Am True Black, A History of Black Student Life and Activism. It's on the first floor of the James E. Walker Library, back near where the reference desk is. Our guests are the people who put it together, Sarah Calise, archivist for political and regional collections and university archivist Donna Baker from the uh, Albert Gore Research Center. What is I Am True Black, the syllabus? I thought it was important to create a syllabus because one, the exhibit does not cover everything. You, don't, you know, you only have so much space in an exhibit. So you kind of hit the highlights. But because this is such an extensive history, you know, we're talking about 50 plus years now, I created the syllabus that has all these primary source links and secondary source links that helps contextualize this history. Um, so people can go and use that syllabus. People can use it in their classrooms. The public can learn more beyond the exhibit. You can read Sylvester Brooks's words for yourself. He wrote several articles for Sidelines. We link directly to them on our digital collections. And then I also have a list of secondary source books that help contextualize this history. Because as I painted at, you know, MTSU, people think, oh, there's not a lot of activism in MTSU, or maybe ours is kind of particular. It's not really when you look at the history. You know, doc, if you look at Dr. Martha Biondi's Black Revolution on Campus book, you know, she mentions 200 plus college campuses from 68 to 72 had some sort of activist or uprising movement about Black civil rights. MTSU is a part of that movement. When the two of you started to put this project together, how did you decide to divvy up the work? What was the division of labor? Sarah does this and Donna does that. How did you figure that out? I do want to say we've been doing this so long and this has lived in our heads and our hearts for so long. It's almost like a committee think to some extent, but we also just naturally fall into things. Sarah's been doing this since she was a graduate student here at the Gore Center. There's no need for me to say, oh, you know what we should do? My job is to shut up and let her do it. And I will take up things that interest me. I have a wonderful relationship with the Sports Hall of Fame. And that is one area where we're, we still fall a little bit behind is capturing those early student athletes. We also have wonderful, and we can't say this enough, we have wonderful graduate students and, and undergraduate workers who help us because they care, because they love history, because they understand the importance of telling the story. When we started working on this, it's, it's a, it was a quick turnaround, you know, we usually... <sighs> We usually take about three to six months to do a, an exhibit from research phase to it. 
going up on display. We kind of got the idea for this pretty late in the game. So we did all of this in six weeks, which if you're, you know, if you're in the museum or public historian field, you know, that's a little crazy. <laughs> but I feel like we took it on because we had been doing this research since 2015. So like the research phase was already done pretty much. Like as I said, it lives in our heads. I think about this history every single day. I knew Donna could do the athletics history very well. And it was really important to me to, to team this, to team the MTSU history part, a current black activist student. Um, Cause I, I want, we want to include the voices, not only obviously in the exhibit, but we want black students to help create the exhibits too. This is about their history. So we hired Braxton Coleman, who's um, been doing activist work on campus and off for a couple of years now. I knew he'd been doing this work. I'd seen what he was posting on social media. I'd seen his protests. I know that he had gone into the, pro the Forest Hall protest collection. I know he saw our primary sources. So we hired him. He's been awesome. He's been great. Um, we have him for the rest of the semester. So he will continue to do great work with us in this history. And then of course, yes, we had to cover the uh, Murfreesboro Black History Exhibit. We got uh, John Broadwell and Maya Council, who are two of our graduate assistants here. And they tackled that, which was a very, they never done an exhibit before. We throw our students into the deep end. Say, here you go, we're doing it. We got six weeks, <laughs> go to Bradley Academy, visit Von Schell over there. Um, ask her what you know awesome artifacts or oral history she might have that can help us. Go to Rutherford County Archives, talk to John, talk to these people you've never talked to before. Get some info. We got we got a deadline. <laughs> they were amazing at it. Everyone, the whole team. I don't think we've ever put on a better exhibit, honestly. It was just so well done. And in the shortest amount of time, like I cannot be grateful enough for the team that I had to work on this and the support of the College of Liberal Arts and the library putting this together. Inevitably, uh, not everybody is going to be able to make it to the Walker Library in Murfreesboro. And uh, even though the university is taking all kinds of COVID precautions, there are some people because of pre-existing conditions who are not going to want to take the chance to make an in-person visit. So what are the online resources that people can access if they would want to uh, look at the exhibit, see what it looks like and learn from it. Yeah, we did a virtual tour. Um, we did a Facebook Live and that video still exists on our Facebook. So you can go and watch the virtual tour. We would go through all four exhibit cases. Text panels themselves are in PDF version on our website. There's a couple of photographs you can find on our social media pages and website. There's the True Black Syllabus. There's lots of different ways you can find this history, honestly. You can go through the Forest Hall protest collection. Sarah Calise, Donna Baker, thank you for being our guest today on MTSU On the Record to talk about I Am True Black. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. We'll be right back. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. 
Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. Justin Reed from MTSU Student Affairs recently talked about the newly launched Campus Life Initiative, the ultimate student resource for all the campus has to offer. We are curating for them the things that they need to know when they're on campus. That website is going to continue to evolve and update on a regular basis to give the students exactly what they're needing at that time. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.